This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. It's so good to see everybody this morning. I love that song we just sang. I mean, man. And I love seeing the countenance on everybody's face, the way that you connect with that song specifically. And so I want to do something totally weird, and it's going to make you feel pretty uncomfortable. So uh, I just want to go ahead and do it anyway. I want to sing just that chorus one more time together. So praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, Three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Amen. Thank you for sparing me that awkward moment right there. So if it made you feel uncomfortable, I don't really care because it was good. It was just good. So a lot of us were kind of crawling our way into 2022. I know for my family, we were at the very end of the year. I mean, it's like the office completely shut down. Everybody got COVID. I was asymptomatic, but I had it. Jude had it. We had to quarantine, and Christmas was completely shot. We didn't get to make our way home to Texas to see family. So when we were in the all clear, we just headed to Knoxville for a couple of days and just enjoyed it. And so I know for many of us, um, our Christmas plans were kind of ruined and we just kind of like begrudgingly approached the new year. And I was thinking this week specifically about Tori because Tori has been gone on maternity leave for a while and she made her way back to the office this week. But the problem is they are now outnumbered as far as children. They have that third one. And so Tori was in the office trying to play catch up all week and she had linen with her. And so she's trying to get caught up on website things, on communications, all of the things that she's responsible for, and yet Lennon is in her office. And so she's just praying she stays asleep as she finishes everything. But at the same time, Lennon would inevitably wake up and need something. And it reminded me of when we had our first. Uh, His name is Jude, and he was born December 18th, 2013. We lived in Johnson City or around Johnson City, Tennessee at the time. This is the picture of us when we are leaving from the hospital. And I have a best friend that's in the t-shirt business. And so he made Jude and myself matching t-shirts that say the Jude abides. If you've seen the movie, you're familiar with it. If not, you probably shouldn't see the movie, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, But it was no sooner after that picture was taken that he just kind of filled up that first diaper, you know? And parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's, It's that initial one where they, they've been inside for nine months and all of these things have collected and it's the first one that kind of comes out 
as their metaphorical introduction to the world. Like, this is what the next 18 years of your life are going to be like. They might not necessarily be like this, but they might be just as messy. And so it helped me to recall that particular situation and to help us realize that there is a mystery and a messiness to the process of growth in our lives. From when we first hit the scene all the way up to our deaths. Uh, Development and transformation take time. Realistically, these things are beyond our ability to control, and it's always a bit chaotic, is it not? Everything about life is just a little bit chaotic. But at the same time, our spiritual lives, the process of spiritual transformation, isn't really any different than that. There is a mystery and a messiness to the process of spiritual transformation. And if we're going to possess a heart like God's, which is his intent for our lives, that the character of Christ would be formed in us, then we must intentionally pray that God would help us to embrace the mystery and the messiness of spiritual transformation, not just as individuals, but as the entire church as well. So we're going to be in Matthew 13 this morning. If you want to go ahead and either turn or click to Matthew 13, Jesus gives us an honest look at the mystery and messiness of kingdom growth. So we're going to pick up in in chapter 13 in verses 24 through 30, and I want the opportunity to read that entire text for us. Then we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk for a little bit. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that your your presence is evident here this morning through singing songs of praise and adoration, of worship to you. And I just pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would open up our hearts to be receptive to the scriptures, yes, but also to provide us an adequate understanding of what they actually mean. I thank you for every person that's here. I know that they're not here by accident. I know that this is exactly where you want them at 1030 on a Sunday morning. So I pray, Father, that you would articulate your word this morning and that we would truly leave changed people because of what we have heard this morning as a result of paying close attention to your word, which always accomplishes its purposes. And we pray this in the name of Jesus together. Amen. 
So in verse 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable. I mean, this was often Jesus' method of teaching, correct? He, he spoke in parables. He spoke in stories. He knew his original audience in such a way to where they would pick up on what he was talking about. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Like I said, we're aware that Jesus taught most often through stories because stories grab our attention the way few things can. Like, you know that feeling when you go to a movie theater and you've seen just something that has totally mesmerized you and caught your attention? Like, you can think of one of the best movies that you've ever seen. For me, like, the first time I saw Shawshank Redemption, I was like, this is fantastic. Or the first time you saw Saving Private Ryan, where you were actually to, to visualize historical events in, a, events in a very profound way, and it left you kind of processing things long after the movie was over. Or you watch a movie specifically that has so many things going on that are all over the place, and then at the very end of the movie, it all comes together, and you are completely blown away. You ever seen a movie like that before? And you're just talking about it. You're talking to friends about it. Have you seen this movie? It's pretty amazing. You got to wait to the end. No spoiler alert. No spoiler alert, but I'm just going to let you know. You need to see this movie. That's kind of what uh, Jesus did with the parables as he spoke to his original audience because they, they, they were mesmerized by his teaching because he, as the scriptures say, taught not only with one in authority, but in a way that made them kind of, kind of think about things in a way that they hadn't necessarily processed things before. So in this parable, God is obviously the landowner who sowed good seed in his field, and everything belongs to him. The field, which is the world, the seed, which is the good news, it's all his. It's all, it all belongs to God. He is the landowner, and he possesses every right to that field. But this parable is interesting in that Jesus is referring to something that actually occurred during this time. This is a story that would have taken place and probably did take place as he's talking to these people. This was probably something that they had encountered before. Whether it was them individually, personally, or a member of their family, they're able to follow Jesus with what he's talking about because situations like this happened all of the time. Because it's interesting, when you think about a, a predominantly agrarian culture where there were farmers who depended upon the harvest for their livelihood, for a person to just come in the middle of the night and sow weeds among their crop, that was devastating to their livelihood. And there was actually Roman legal code set up against this that would penalize these people for going about and doing these things. And so Jesus' original audience is very aware of what's going on here because that typically happened in ancient Near Eastern culture. So this is what's going on. But let, let's, take, 
Let's take a step away from that a second, and let's actually talk about the weeds themselves, okay? So let's just say the farmer is sowing wheat. Now, what they would typically sow as far as weeds, and I'm speaking from the enemy's standpoint, was something referred to as lolium temulentum. You didn't know I was an amateur botanist, did you? I dabble in it a little bit. I'm totally kidding, not really at all. But I had to do some research on this particular weed, and the scientific terminology for it is lolium temulentum, but we typically know it, and it's commonly referred to as darnel. And I've got a few illustrations for us today. We can go ahead and put the first one up on the screen. And something that's very interesting about this particular weed is that it's both toxic to humans and animals. So for it to be sown among something that would be consumed would not only be devastating to the crop, but they would have to get rid of it once the crop had actually been harvested. Now, something that's very interesting about this image, you'll notice on the left that is a picture of almost fully mature wheat. And on the right, you have almost fully mature darnel. And if you take a look at it, you'll notice there's kind of a striking resemblance between the two, right? But at the same time, if you're holding them side by side, you can see noticeable differences. But if we take a look at the second image, the darnel is actually in focus while the wheat is out of focus. And it gets harder to differentiate between the two. And if you look at the third image, there's the wheat and there's the darnel in the background. So you get a whole field of this. Have you ever seen a wheat field before? It's very hard to determine if there is something else in the wheat field that could be devastating to the overall crop that's actually intended upon being planted. And that's what's taking place here. Until the heads of the wheat emerge, even the most seasoned of farmers could rarely tell that darnel had been sown into their field because there's such a striking similarity between the two. Let's go to verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That verse 30 right there is interesting because one of two things would happen. They would either collect all of the weeds at the end to be burned, or they would harvest all of the wheat and just set the field on fire. Because there were so many instances where the wheat and the darnel would become cross-rooted. And that way, it, 
it was pretty much impossible to be able to root out any of uh, sustainable weed that could be used for the farmer's crop. And so they would have to actually go and spend way much more time on cutting the wheat off and then just setting the field ablaze with all of the excess. Or they were able to do things in such a way to where they could just uproot the darnel itself, collect it in bundles, and set it on fire. But pay attention uh, to what his servants say to him. Do you want us to go and pull them up? Jesus' response would have been confusing to his original audience because why wouldn't they immediately try to get rid of as much of the weeds as possible in order to salvage the crop? And Jesus tells them not to, but he also tells them why. You can't always tell the difference. You can't always tell the difference between these two things that were growing side by side almost until the time that it was time for them to be harvested. You and I as sinful people have a, uh, a propensity to judge, do we not? And I'm not just talking about Christians among Christians. I'm talking about just people in general. Whether we want to admit it or not, we carry around within ourselves this kind of, this kind of air that, you know what, we, we could safely say that, you know, we're not, we're not better than people or I don't consider myself a better person than another person. But there are instances where a thought will lurk in our mind and we'll say, whew, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or I'm glad I haven't made the decision that they have made that has totally wrecked their family or their lives. And it's this propensity to judge that's within us, that's deeply ingrained within us, that is quite revealing that we are, in fact, sinful people, that there is something wrong with us, that there is something that is contrary to the character of God himself, who is the creator and the sustainer of all things. We bear his image, yes, but we have this inclination we have this propensity to think that we might be better than another person. To think that we might be um, better in the way that we make our decisions. Or I certainly wouldn't have done that. And these are, these are just abrupt kind of thoughts that we tend to focus on sometimes. And it's a pretty sad deal that Christians are often labeled as judgmental hypocrites, especially when the circumstances are actually the truth. Like people in the church get a bad rap for that. Like if you often hear about people outside of the church, what's the typical response? Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to be around them. They're judgmental people. That's been my experience. And to their credit, it might have been their experience. But at the same time, there's something about legitimate followers of Jesus where spiritual transformation is taking place within their lives in such a way to where even though they've embraced uh, the messiness and the mystery of spiritual transformation, like there's something about them that is transforming. 
and they're being renewed from the inside out. We don't want to do anything that harm that harms the work of God in the lives of people. Look, it's not our responsibility to pass final judgment on an individual person, like to determine who's in or who's out, because we are servants of the landowner, and his field does not belong to us. Everything is his. You and I are called to stay in our lane of love and service while we entrust everything about our existence to the one that actually owns the field, the world. He is the landowner. His field does not belong to us. We are servants in his field, and we do what he says. And I'll be honest with you, man, there was a situation where this week I was kind of working through this material and it was just like the Holy Spirit brought to my attention something that I'd been holding on to as far as my internal judgment towards people with particular lifestyles or anything like that. And I will have those brief and abrupt thoughts where I just think, man, I'm really glad I'm not in that situation, or I'm really glad that I don't make decisions like that. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because it was something that I personally had to repent from. And it's in opportunities like this where, where, where God really speaks to you. You know how you'll be doing a particular study or you'll be looking at a passage of Scripture and examining it, and it's just like, man, this is kind of descriptive of where I'm at right now, and I need to turn from this behavior, and I need to confess this to God, and I need to turn from it, and I need to walk in obedience. There are several instances where that was the case this week. And so, man, it was just uh, very convicting to me. So like I said, it's not our responsibility to pass final judgment on any individual person because he's the landowner. The field belongs to him. And he's called us to love and to service. And, you know, for you seasoned churchgoers, you might have that, that passage in your mind. Well, you know, Jake, it says in 1 Peter 4.17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. So it is appropriate in certain circumstances to judge those. Yes, that is true. But this verse is referring to the reality that there are, in fact, willfully unrepentant center, sinners among God's people and that they will be judged first. This means that membership in a local church is actually something that's really important and that we at Lost Mountain are taking very seriously as we move forward as a church. If you're a covenant member of Lost Mountain, it means that you are a regenerate believer, meaning that, though the, meaning that through the work of the Holy Spirit, you have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life in order to be united with Christ. It means that we can keep each other in check within the context of gospel-centered friendships when we do stupid things. And it also means being able to be corrected by those in positions of spiritual authority within the church. 
Take Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, for instance. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about in our passage this morning, however. This is a picture of us. This is a picture of us uprooting those we think don't belong here when we really haven't even considered the work of spiritual transformation that God may have begun in a person's life. Remember, spiritual transformation is both a mysterious and a messy process. That's just a word of clarification, but here is a word of warning for us. Jesus is very clear that over time, there will be a discernible difference between the children of the kingdom and the children of the world. As the wheat and the darnel grow side by side, the difference will become apparent just around harvest time. The difference won't be evident because of the the superficial standards we've created in our own traditions of religious ritualism. He quit drinking. She stopped smoking. He got all of his tattoos removed. they They no longer vote Democrat, blah, 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 blah. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. Jesus says it will be by the way that we love. It's simple, yet it's very complex. And when you're engaging in conversations with people, culturally now, we live in a time where we have to define our terms. We have to be very serious and strategic about what we're talking about. And love just happens to be one of those buzzwords right now. You know what I'm talking about? There's so many varying definitions on what somebody might mean when they use the term love. The love I'm referring to is not the type that will condone a lifestyle that will inevitably lead a person down a path of self-destruction. I'm referring to the type of love that is the theological center of the people of God. One of my favorite professors from my undergrad, he he said this, this very profound statement, love is the one characteristic that Satan cannot counterfeit. This love manifests itself in the lives of people who are characterized by admonitions such as the great commandments and the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or what about the fruit of the Spirit? From Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says, against these things, there is no law. 
And I love this verse right here. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since you and I have that propensity to sin, since you and I have that inclination to judge another person, those who belong to Christ Jesus, there's an ongoing process of crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Really, if you think about it, that's the goal of our Christianity, to look as much like Jesus progressively throughout our lives as much as we possibly can. These are the things that characterize true followers of Jesus over time. So we need to ask ourselves how we're doing with that. Internally, ask yourself the question, is it easier for me to judge or to love. As we go down, Jesus, is, Jesus explains the parable in verses 36 through 43. Picking up there, he says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I love how Eugene Peterson in the translation of the message translates that whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, Are you listening? Are you really listening? Make no mistake of it. There is an adversary. There is an enemy who counterfeits all things except genuine, biblical, theologically fueled love that Jesus is talking about. The landowner has possession of the entire field. We, as a church, who wants to be a light in this community, have a responsibility, like I said before, to stay in our lane in acts of love and service, regardless of person, regardless of lifestyle, Regardless of political affiliation, whatever the case may be, we love. We demonstrate the love of Christ to the people that we come in contact with on a weekly basis, including the family members that you cannot stand. Every one of them. So, 
it's quite evident from the scriptures that more people are loved into the kingdom of God than judged into the kingdom of God. The struggle for many churches is not their unwillingness to welcome the lost in, but their unwillingness to devote the time and space for the wheat and the weeds to grow together, knowing they will be separated in the end. Lost Mountain has to be a place that makes space for the mystery and messiness of spiritual transformation to occur. This place has to create space for people that are in process. Knowing full well that there will be some in our midst that God has began something within and he will see it to fruition. He will ensure that his plan has not only been enacted, but fulfilled. And we simply do not bear the responsibility of who's in, who's out. That's not left up to us. In Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, it says, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters his seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So what Jesus is communicating is not even the farmer knows how this takes place. Which lets you and I know and understand that he is the one that will bring about spiritual transformation in a person. And so as a church, we continue to love. We continue to say, hey, come on. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. Just, just come and be with us. Just come and explore what we talk about on a weekly basis about the character of God and who he is and how he created you and how he wants to be in relationship with you through his son, Christ Jesus. Just come. Just come explore. Serve on a team. Be involved in this community event with us. See how we as the church want to impact this community that we live in in such a way for the glory and the renown of God himself who has demonstrated himself in that while we were yet sinners, he sends his son into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins and provide justification, imputed righteousness. You get the holiness of Christ, he gets your sin. That does not make sense. But yet at the same time, that is exactly what has occurred and what has revolutionized of, mo of movement that has scanned across millennia.
And it's the reason why we're here today. It's the reason why we invest time on a Sunday morning out of a chaotically busy schedule to make our way to church, to celebrate the worship of God through song, through the reading of his word, through the expounding of the scriptures, through the partaking of communion together, through being in relationship with one another. Man, this is, the, this is the fuel for our week to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ for mutual admiration and encouragement for one another to go. To talk to the lady at the cash register. To tip the bill for the worst service that you've ever gotten at a restaurant. Instead of throwing it on Facebook that you'll never go to that place again. I don't know about you, but I want the character of Christ to be formed in me in such a way to where people ask, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Why are you like that? And to have that open invitation to be like, this is Jesus, and he's made all the difference in the world to me. So come and see. Come to this church that I'm a part of. This is what we're about. There's a mystery and a messiness to how the kingdom of God grows in a person's life. There's also a mystery and a messiness to how the values and the vision of the kingdom take root and grow in the life of an entire congregation. So may we embrace that, yearn for it, and pray for it. And may this be our prayer. Lord, would you help us joyfully embrace the mystery and messiness of spiritual transformation? Would you stand with me? As, uh, as we prepare to respond to God's word through song and communion, I want to invite any baptized believer this morning to make your way at some point during this next song to one of the communion uh, tables. There's two of them back here. The two back here have gluten-free options if you happen to be gluten-free. But at any point during this next song, we want you to make your way out of your seat, approach a communion station, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, Maybe move off to the side to make room for other people and receive communion in light of what God's word has just instructed us today. As we take communion together, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We anticipate his return. We witness to the world that we belong to him and we recommit ourselves as servants of God and ministers of reconciliation. And so I'm going to pray, and as soon as that happens, you can feel free to make your way out of your seats to one of the communion stations set up throughout the worship center. Would you pray with me?
Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. Thank you.